0: Word declares that our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the tearing down of strongholds, and the Word of God is one of those weapons, and so I pray today that as this Word goes out, it's going to tear down strongholds in Jesus' name, where strongholds need to be torn down. It's going to bring encouragement where encouragement needs to come and it's going to bring conviction where conviction needs to come and so i just commit myself i commit this word to you and i pray that it will bring you glory god and that it's going to accomplish everything that you have planned for it in jesus name amen right today i'm um, doing part 10 of deception in the church so deception in the church part 10 the word of god now the knowledge and application of the word of God is your weapon. It's your weapon and defense against deception. In fact, I'd probably go as far as to say it's the only weapon against deception. And so it's really crucial that you understand how to correctly handle it. And I want to talk to you today about two things. I want to talk about what the word of God is to us and secondly, foundation. Have I gone off, you still hear me? And I'm going to be including some quotes and some material from Derek Prince. All right, so what is the Word of God to us? And looking at this, we need to look at the relationship between Christ and the Bible and our relationship to the Bible. Derek Prince says this, The Bible is the Word of God and Christ is the Word of God. Each alike is a divine, authoritative, perfect revelation of God. Each agrees perfectly with the other. The Bible perfectly reveals Christ. Christ perfectly fulfills the Bible. The Bible is the written word of God. Christ is the personal word of God. Before his incarnation, Christ was the eternal word with the Father. In his incarnation, Christ is the word made flesh. The same Holy Spirit that reveals God through his written word also reveals God in the word made flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. If Christ is in this sense perfectly one with the Bible, then it follows that the relationship of the believer to the Bible must be the same as his relationship to Christ, end quote. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Revelation 19, 13. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. Now, listen to what Jesus said and what he's still saying to us today, keeping in mind the last statement that I read from that quote, and I'll just repeat that statement. If Christ is in this sense perfectly one with the Bible, then it follows that the relationship of the believer to the Bible must be the same as his relationship to Christ. Here's what Jesus said in John 14, 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Now I wanna draw your attention to four facts from that above scripture. Number one, obeying God's word is what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. It distinguishes us as a disciple from the rest of the world. Secondly, Obeying God's word is the test of our love. Jesus says there, anyone who loves me will obey my word. So obeying God's word is the test of our love and the cause of God's favor towards us. Thirdly, Christ manifests himself to us as we obey his word. And my fourth point, the father and son come into our lives and establish their home with us through God's word. Says there, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. 1 John 2, 3 to 6. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So, hopefully, you can see from those two passages of scripture just how important God's word is in your life. And this next quote that I'm going to read with Derek, from Derek Prince really resonates with me. And I want you, as you listen, I want you to think about the place that you've given the word of God in your life. Or maybe some of you might need to repent for the lack of place that you've given the word in your life. So just having that in your mind, listen carefully to this quote. Your attitude towards God's word is your attitude towards God himself. You do not love God more than you love his word. You do not obey God more than you obey his word. You do not honor God more than you honor his word. You do not have more room in your heart and love for God than you have for his word. Do you want to know how much God means to you? Just ask yourself, how much does God's word mean to me? The answer to the second question is the answer also to the first God means as much to you as his word means to you, just that much and no more. That's the end of that quote. You know, we live in a world where we see rapid quantum shifts in technology. We've seen rapidly decreasing um, behavior and morals and there's no security, no standard about what's right and wrong. In fact, basically, um, if it feels good, you can do it as long as you don't hurt someone else. But then even if you do hurt someone else, that can be blamed on something else. All right, And so that's the world that we're living in. There's an absolute lack of clear boundaries of what's right and wrong. And that leaves people living on constant shifting sand. But you know what? The Word of God is an absolute. We have got an absolute. It's an absolute, unchanging, immovable truth. And that needs to be the authority and standard that you have in your life. And we know that we're living in the last hours of the last day, And we're going to increasingly witness the outpouring of acts uh, we're going to witness Acts 21:17 unfolding. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. It does disturb me a little bit, but there's nothing mentioned there about older women. But maybe that's it forever young, I'm asking God, maybe just the daughter. Yeah, thanks, John. But you know, I believe fully in the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God does and will continue to speak to us through prophecies, vision, dreams, and by any other means that He chooses. But the Bible is our supreme authority. All other forms of revelation, all other forms of experience must be proved only and are only to be accepted if they line up with Scripture, with the Word of God. Now, we warned over and over again in Scripture that side by side with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a parallel increase in demonic activity as a counterfeit to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Just, just to mention two Scriptures, and there's so many, you know that in the 27 books of the New Testament, 22 speak to this, and then um, another three do warn about it as well. Matthew 24, 23 to 25. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. 1 Timothy 4, 1-2, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, um, there's a very important principle that you need to burn into your spirit, and you need to remember it, and it's this. God's Word and God's Spirit will always work together. We must never divorce the Word from the Spirit or the Spirit from the Word. No prophecy, no revelation, no doctrine, no practice, no experience is to be accepted if it does not line up completely with the Word of God. God's Word and God's Spirit will always work together. No one, no organisation, no church has got any authority to change even a comma or override or depart in any way whatsoever from the Word of God. And your defence and protection, as I said at the beginning in these days, is to believe and know and apply the truth, the Word of God in its entirety. Now notice, and I deliberately said that, in its entirety. You know, we can see some deceptions that are clear violation of the Word and some of them are easy to see and to pick up. For example, that clip that David showed us last week about them eating grass. Um, When he first showed me that, two scriptures immediately sprang to my mind. I'd been reading Daniel the week before and where it was talking about how um, God had actually taken away King, King Nebuchadnezzar's sanity, made him go insane for a number of years. And then it said, as a result of that, he ate grass like an ox. And I think it's mentioned about three times there and it was because he's lost his mind, he's eating grass like an ox. And then the second scripture that sprang to mind is we have the mind of Christ. And I'm pretty sure the mind of Christ is not telling me to eat grass. So remember what I said a few minutes ago, God's Word and God's Spirit will always work together. We must never divorce the Word from the Spirit or the Spirit from the Word. And if you seek the Spirit without the Word, it's going to end in foolishness and error. And that's what that clip clearly showed us. You know, people um, are looking, at, there's a lot of people going around looking for this. They're looking for the Spirit, basically, without the word. They're looking for manifestations of the Spirit. They want a move of the Spirit, an outpouring. But to what end? The reason you have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is so that it can empower you to go with boldness and to preach and point people to Jesus. That's the only reason to bring glory to Jesus. And if there is a move of the Spirit and the Spirit sweeps through here, we should be on our faces weeping because we come to that recognition of what a holy God we serve. We wouldn't be running around barking like dogs and eating grass. That's not a move of the Spirit. Okay, so the reason we're giving uh, the move of the Spirit is to point people to Jesus. It's for that, not for ourselves, for just some experience and going crazy. And you know, another trend that I've noticed that disturbs me is um, often people will say, oh, God told me this, or the Holy Spirit told me this. And it often doesn't even line up with the Word of God. And I think that in some cases that's become a defense for people against being confronted or challenged with truth. Because if someone says to you, well, God told me, most people are going to back off at that point. They're not actually going to push in and say, well, actually what you said doesn't line up with Scripture. So no... God did not tell you. A spirit may have told you, but it's not the Holy Spirit telling you. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people are doing that, oh, well, God told me this because people just automatically, well, who am I to say God hasn't told you that? And An equally dangerous deception is not teaching the whole word of God. So I spoke about that we've got to teach the word of God in its entirety. And I said some deceptions are more obvious than others but this one people might not always see as a deception is not teaching the whole word of God. Bless me. Only teaching that God will bless you, it's your day, it's your time to shine, to be the best you that you can be, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, God does want to and he will bless you. But you know what, to be blessed and to be blessed by God, he's gonna sort out your character. That's true blessing. So there's also all the teaching and lessons, lessons and behaviour on dying to self, counting the cost, undergoing sanctifications, tests and trials. And uh, you need to run very fast from any teaching that promises you a trouble-free, easy life where God's main role is to bless you and to prosper you financially or otherwise. Claim it and it's going to be yours. Run from teaching like that. Listen to these scriptures, 1 Corinthians 4, to 13, and this is Paul writing. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I think there's some churches that you could go into, and if you actually said, Well, you are nothing, God is everything, and you deserve nothing, they'd be like, You know, but that's what Paul said. He goes on in 2 Timothy 3.12 to say, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Seriously, church, where did we get the entitlement and the rights mentality that God owes us? God owes us nothing. We owe Him everything. How well would that statement go down in some churches? God owes us nothing. I'd probably get rebuked for speaking words of death or negativity or something. Yes, of course he blesses and provides, but it's because of who he is. Because of his unchanging character, it's nothing to do with us deserving anything. Where did we ever get the idea that God has to bless us because we claim or because we've served Him or because we've come faithfully to church or because we've tithed or because we've followed A, B and C? You know, it's all very well saying that God wants you to be the best, the most awesome version of you that you can be. But if it's not taught that that version of you is the one that has totally died to self due to daily crucifying your flesh, if it's not taught that the best version of you is the one that's not getting its own way. If it's not taught that the best version of you is the one that's not satisfying your flesh and desires. If it's not taught that the best version of you is a new self increasingly being moulded and shaped through fire and pressure and hardship into the image of Jesus. If that's not being taught fully, then it's deception. And I'm sorry, but I feel so passionate about this because I see thousands of Christians, thousands of impressionable, and this is what gets me the the worst, impressionable young people are sitting under this. They're sitting under sugar-coated half gospel and yes, I fully agree, we want to raise them to be confident. We want them to be fully all that they call to be and can be in Christ. We want them to step up and function powerfully in their unique giftings for God, to be glorified and to extend His kingdom. And you know that because that's what, how we feel about you guys here as well, that we want to encourage you to be everything and to step fully into your calling and ministry. But you know what? You can't be brought to maturity you can't be trusted with the full weight of ministry unless you've, got, you've developed character and that only comes through adversity through fire. You can't come to that unless you've submitted to being trying through trial and hardship. And this is what breaks my heart. They need to be taught this as well as all the positive, and this isn't negative anyway, but as well as all the, you know, blessing and how awesome. They need to be taught this. They need to be taught to crucify our flesh, count the cost, and pick up their cross daily as a requirement to following Jesus. And, you know, this is not negative teaching or preaching. Okay? It is preaching to ensure that when hardship and trials and persecutions come, As Jesus himself said several times it would, it ensures that they don't fall away. And that's the part that breaks my heart. If people are not exposed to the full gospel, when hardship comes, they're gonna fall away. And you know, teaching the full gospel ensures they don't fall away because they weren't properly equipped and trained, but they become skilled soldiers, able to advance the kingdom because they've got character and correct attitude and thinking, and they're not intimidated, and they don't shrink or fall away. But, you know, in some cases, the church has adopted this attractional model, come one, come all, and you will feel as comfortable here as you do going with your friends to the mall. You know, in the short term, that might look like a good strategy to get people to come to church, to feel comfortable. We want them to feel comfortable, and so we'll preach in a way so as not to offend anyone. And, you know, it breaks my heart that these young people are not being trained to stand but that many will fall away when storms come, as the storms will come. And as far as I'm concerned, it's irresponsible and negligent to teach half a gospel or a watered-down gospel. Uh, I've got some questions, three questions from Steve Hill. I I shared them in my last sermon. To be honest with yourself about in terms of testing the messages and teaching that you're feeding yourself on, You know, and there might be a lot of you sitting here today where, you know, you are, well, you are, I hope everyone sitting here today is exposed to the full gospel message where you have, you know, got your foundation on the correct Jesus and you're not, thank God, in deception. So don't think this doesn't apply to you because you've got to go out and teach others and disciple others and you need to know this so that you can ensure that you are teaching and discipling properly. So here's some questions just to ask yourself about the, the message or the teaching that you're feeding yourself on. Does it always tell me what my itching ears want to hear or does it rebuke my flesh? Second question, does it give me a way to avoid the cross or does it call me to pick up my cross daily? Third one, does it allow me to cater to my sinful desires or does it call me to die to sinful desires? You know what, these are the exciting verses, these are the exciting commands, the ones that build and mould and change you, the ones that grow you to maturity, that build character. Be honest. What makes you feel like you have achieved something at the end of the day? What would make you feel more satisfied, more alive and vital? Lying on a comfy couch eating sugar or a brisk muscle stretching walk up a mountain? Might not be enjoyable, but what is gonna make you feel like you've actually achieved something. And so those commands, crucifying your flesh, dying to self, picking up your cross, those are the ones that ensure that you're gonna be conformed increasingly to the image of Christ. And that's what it's all about. And that's the real blessing. That is the real blessing. God working in and through you, shaping your character, molding you like clay as he reconstructs you into the image of His son. It can be hard and sore at times, but it's worth it. Yes, God's favour and love and provision are there too, but the gospel's a whole package, all or nothing. All right, so that was my first point, what is the word of God to us? And I'm gonna read that quote again by Derek Prince. I'm gonna read it several times throughout the sermon because I think it is so important. The Bible is the word of God and Christ is the word of God. Each alike is a divine, authoritative, perfect revelation of God. Each agrees perfectly with the other. The Bible perfectly reveals Christ. Christ perfectly fulfills the Bible. The Bible is the written word of God. Christ is the personal word of God. Before his incarnation, Christ was the eternal word with the Father. In his incarnation, Christ is the word made flesh. The same Holy Spirit that reveals God through his written word also reveals God in the word made flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. If Christ is in this sense perfectly one with the Bible, then it follows that the relationship of the believer to the Bible must be the same as his relationship to Christ. All right, I'm gonna move on to my second point, which is what Jesus says to us about the word as our foundation, applying the word to our lives. I'm sure everybody here is aware that the most important part of a building is its foundation. And we all know that in our lives as believers, the only solid, lasting, true foundation upon which we can build is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which which is Jesus Christ. To have Jesus Christ as the foundation upon which we build our life, we've got to go through a process of confrontation by Christ which leads to conviction that we are sinners and that we sin, have sin in our lives and that in turn leads to repentance and a public confession of Christ. Jesus is my foundation, the rock upon which I will now build my Christian life. And we need to be very careful, and this is where I was talking about half a gospel, that we don't take, teach people that once they've accepted Jesus' sacrifice, that's all there is to it. I'm a Christian now and they stop there. No sanctification, no perseverance, no character. We need to pay careful attention to what the Word of God says. And we also need to pay attention to which Christ we are building on. And David has shown you through this series that through false teachers, promoting false doctrine, the enemy will try to offer us different Christs other than the Christ of the Bible. Now I want you to listen to this passage of Scripture that I'm no doubt you're very familiar with. And ask yourself, how do we actually build on that foundation of rock? Have any of you ever experienced, you know, when you drive home from work or for somewhere that you get there and you can't even remember the journey? It was as if you drove on automatic. And I think that sometimes happens with the Word of God with certain passages. I think it's a bit like driving on automatic. Sometimes we read a scripture, we gloss over it, and we take it to mean what we've always thought it means. And often we might not see that there's actually so much more or it's actually not saying what we thought it was saying. So take careful note of what Jesus is actually saying here in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Look at what I've um, bolded and underlined there. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and who puts them into practice. How are we building? What does our building look like? Will it stand in this life and in the next? We are to continue to build throughout our lives. It's an ongoing process. Build on the rock. The rock is the starting point. Acts 20:32 says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So clearly you've got a choice. You can build correctly or incorrectly. And we can see that it's possible to build your lives up incorrectly. You can see that in the difference between the person who's heard but not applied the word they refer to as a foolish man and then the one who has heard and applied the truth, the wise man. So remember Jesus said, "'Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand.'" I don't know about you, but I've often just read that and taken it as the emphasis being on the rock, all right? So the wise builder is the one who has Christ as the foundation, the foolish builder doesn't have Christ as the foundation. Whilst that is true because you're wise if you have Christ as your foundation, and obviously foolish if you don't, that scripture doesn't actually say that. It doesn't say I'm a wise builder because I've accepted Christ or I've built on the rock. What does it actually say? You know, whilst accepting Christ as your Lord and Saviour, laying that foundation is definitely the necessary first step. It doesn't stop here. In fact, in this context, the word rock here is petros, which literally and figuratively is referring to a massive rock. I know Jesus is referred to as the rock as well, and he's our foundation. But here, what does the scripture actually say that a wise builder is? It says it's the one who hears and does. Okay, his words, the words of Jesus. I think I know that I've glossed over that before and just, oh, wise builder, you've built on Jesus Christ. And that's fine, but that's only the starting point. It says the wise builder, it's an ongoing process, is the one who actually hears and puts into practice the words. And so that means, you know, to ensure that we correctly continue to build on the rock, we have to be hearing and doing His words. And that means we've got to diligently study and apply the Word to our lives. Remember, the, the Bible clearly talks about us working out our salvation. It says in Philippians two twelve to 15. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So that is the ongoing work of building upon the rock. It's the hearing and doing of Jesus' word. It's the process of sanctification, it's the process of discipleship. They're the same thing becoming like Jesus. And you know, that's going to determine hearing and doing the Word. It's going to determine whether you will be an overcoming disciple. In fact, whether you will even be a disciple. Because if you're not hearing and doing, you're not a disciple. Um, And it's going to determine whether you are or whether you're going to fall away under pressure due to wrong teaching or due to only being taught half a gospel and so when pressure comes, you can't handle it and you fall away. You see, the danger of receiving a word or an altered word, um, an altered teaching or a doctrine from false teachers is a grave danger. But the danger of accepting a false Jesus, a saviour, again, due to false teaching and departing from the word of God is an eternal danger. And I fear that it can and it does place many people into thinking that they are in a right relationship with God, but they're not. Listen to the consequence of accepting a false teaching about a false Jesus, to having a foundation that is not the Jesus of the Bible or, the, or as I said, if that doesn't apply to you because you are sure that you have got your life built on the correct Jesus of the Bible, then you still have a responsibility to make sure when you speak to others and disciples others that you are teaching them that. Listen to Matthew 7:21 to 23, and this is the verse that just comes above the building. I was just thinking when I was reading that, and it's a bit sad, that I think that if Jesus was here now, some churches wouldn't allow him to preach. Based on, you know, the message he carried and, the, and you, uh, that he brought, you read the words of Jesus, I think a lot of churches would not allow him on the pulpit and preach. So clearly, though, those people considered themselves Christian, Lord, we did this in your name, we did that. So what's the problem? Why did Jesus say this to people who clearly believed that they were serving him? All right, Jesus explains it. Let's look, now I'm gonna look again at the whole passage. I'm gonna put the two parts together, Matthew 7, 21 to 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now the key word here is therefore. And I went to the Strong's Concordance and looked up um, from the original Greek, therefore, and the translation is what follows. um, Now then, accordingly so, by extension, here's how the dots connect. That's what it means. So that is how the therefore connects the dots in the two passages. Jesus talks in verse 21 about false disciples. He says, not everyone who says that they work in his name actually works in his name. And then he goes on to the therefore. So, or what follows is that? Or this is how you connect the dots. And then he goes on to say, we recognize those who are not false because they are the ones that actually hear and do his word. So if we don't wanna be in the group which clearly believe they serving and acting God's name, we must ensure that we do what follows the therefore. If you're gonna build on a solid foundation, build on the correct foundation, Jesus Christ, you need to actually do what God wants you to do. Correct building, layer upon layer, ongoing throughout your life. Remember, building on the rock, but building present tense and ongoing present. Hearing and doing his words just going to give you a few. I was just looking um, you know, through the Gospels and I was looking at where it started. Jesus's first words in public ministry, repent for the kingdom of God has come, has come near. And so in those first words of Jesus, remember we've got to hear and do. Repent. The direction of your very life is changed at that point because that's what repent means, to turn around 180 degrees And then it was interesting to note, because then I was going to look at his next words, and his next words were where he went to Peter and said, come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. So in that second statement, his next words after repent, where he changed the direction of their life, the next words were giving purpose for life. Come follow me and I'm going to make you do this. It gave him a purpose. And then we build, then we start building on the solid rock as we hear and do as we hear and put into practice. Hearing and putting into practice, you're going to build character and correct attitude. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Building character and attitude. This is what building on the rock means, okay? Hearing and doing, not doing it your own way. Well, someone did this to me, so I'm gonna act like this. Doing it God's way, that's building on the rock. Hearing and putting into practice, you build correct relationships, building on solid rock. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Building on the rock, building correctly, correct relationships, hearing and putting into practice, building on solid rock. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. All right, so that is just one tiny little portion of the first bit of Matthew. There are hundreds more of commands, but it's hearing these and living them out and doing them, putting them into practice that is your correct building. You see, hearing his words is not enough. You're building your life on his words only as you obey them. And that means all of scripture, okay? Not just the parts that we like or the parts that seem easiest. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And you notice from Jesus' parable that both the wise and foolish builders' houses were subjected to the same test. They both had to endure the storm wind, rain and floods, the difference was not in the storm. The difference was that the wise man built on the foundation on the rock by hearing and doing the word. And so his house stood against the storm unmoved. The foolish man built his foundation his way, hearing but not doing, not applying the word. And so the house collapsed when pressure came against it because the whole foundation shifted. So remember what I said that scripture actually says Hearing and doing is what is building on rock. And hearing and not doing is building on sand, okay? So that is really crucial that you actually realize that. And as I said to you earlier, remember any gospel that says you won't have to endure storms or hardships is a false gospel. Precious storms, rain, wind, floods will come. Jesus warned us they would. And then you will see if your foundation is on the sand or the rock. And you know what? This might sound you know, hard for me to say, then you're going to see where your foundation is. But it's better for you to discover now, okay, if your foundation has not been on the rock. It's better to discover now before it's too late. And this understanding of that is going to have an impact on your daily life and your eternal life. And you need to understand that to be able to recognise and guard against deception, you firstly need to be applying the word of God to your own life. And so I'm going to look at that a little bit more because it's important that we guide against self-deception by applying the word to ourselves. And then that, in turn, is going to put us into a better position to recognise deception when it comes. I'm just going to show you a quick little clip. There was a crooked man and he went a crooked mile. He found a crooked sixpence upon a crooked stile. Which caught a crooked mouse, and they all lived together in a little crooked house. This is mean, but I hope that sticks in your head. So that every time you're tempted to react um, wrongly, and not building on the word, and, and hearing and doing the word, that that comes back to you. You see the problems that you can build on sand and the house which represents your life might actually appear to be standing okay for a time, maybe even for years and years. Especially because all your other relationships will be leaning with you, or they'll be crooked with you. And they will be because if your life and walls are crooked, so will your relationships and interactions with others be. You see, because in those relationships, those, in, those people in relationship with you have to adapt and modify their responses and interactions to accommodate your behaviour and your non-compliance to the word. Also known as enablement. People might walk around on eggshells around you, or they might learn how to avoid upsetting you so as not to trigger your bad behaviour. I was just thinking about that when I was going over it again this afternoon. How ludicrous is that? But it happens. But people are living in families and in relationships where they have to modify their behaviour to ensure that they're not, not going to upset that person and trigger certain behavioural responses there. And so what does that do? It's making me responsible for your bad behaviour, your lack of self-control, because I've got to be crooked in my dealing with you just so that we can maintain this whole facade. Okay, so, um, you know, if your life is built on sand, as I said, as time passes, shift will occur, But the danger is that sometimes the shift is gradual and small. And it might be so small that you don't really notice it. Sometimes there's going to be small storms and shift will happen. But you just learn to compensate and you maybe add a few layers of coping scaffolding, such as maybe addictions that you go to for comfort, or maybe a few extra bricks of wrong belief as you try and sin to shore up the already leaning walls. But you know, there's going to come bigger storms. And if you allow it, these can bring your house with its crooked walls and shifting foundations crashing down. And, you know, someone out there listening might be in such a storm right now and it might seem like your life has been turned upside down. But, you know, what we could view as the most difficult time in our lives could very well be the turning point that we need. You see, storms are one of God's ways to help us. And we can choose to react in one of two ways. One, we can react in brokenness and come before the Lord as we recognise that we may have a faulty foundation and we have through our experiences, maybe through hurts and woundings in our lives built up crooked walls. Or the second way we can react is by hardening ourselves, maybe even blaming God for this latest storm and continue with our incorrect building by fortifying already crooked walls with further bricks of rebellion and rejection responses. So we've got those two choices. Um, I looked up information about foundations on the internet and I found an article and I thought it was, I've put some of it up here because I thought we could make some interesting parallels in our lives. Remember, it was Jesus who used that illustration of a house and its foundation. So when you read stuff here that I've quoted, remember homes, houses, walls, etc. are your life, talking about your life. All right, so what I've done, um, I've got in the black is a quote from the article and then the red is just my little comment on it. So it says, homes are supposed to have level floors, flat walls and plumb ceilings. So crookedness can be a bit more problematic. So I've said there that you build by hearing and doing and the word of God is our plumb line. That's what we've got to use as our plumb line, our standard for building up those walls of our life. The second part I've got there, as structures age, they often shift or settle. Now put this in your mind as a person, okay, in their life. That shows up as a dip in the floor. These will be behaviours. A sag in a window casing, a slope in a ceiling or cracks in a wall. It can be so subtle that a homeowner will notice only a wobble in a table or dramatic enough that the floor level changes by several inches from one end of the house to the other. The key to dealing with a home that has settled is to come to terms with how much slant you're willing to live with. And I think that's really important because a lot of people are willing to live with stuff. If the answer is little to none, renovations, possibly major, can level out of plum surfaces. If the answer is some, there are ways to camouflage our home's imperfections. So my comment on that is how much are we willing to live with? How much shift are you willing to live with? How much are you um, going to live with or sweep under the carpet? Are we camouflaging or ignoring issues in our lives, and our character, or are we as disciples allowing God the right to change us? Remember, that's the first rule of discipleship, giving God permission to change you. Right, the next quote. For homeowners without the budget or the desire for far-reaching renovations, much can be done to diminish the appearance of tilts and dips in walls, ceilings and floors. It's like choosing clothes, said interior designer, Nancy Ninsley of, uh, sorry, Nan Ninsley of, of Nan Ninsley Designs in Alexandria. You emphasize the positive and de-emphasize the negative. So my question to you is, are you dressing up or plastering over or using props such as addictions or defensive behaviours maybe. I haven't got that up there, but I was talking to some of the girls about this, that sometimes people have worked, um, have got these defensive behaviour patterns in their life. For some people it might be just coming across as very defensive, some people it's anger, but all they're designed to do is the minute someone starts to push in and touch something you don't like, the defensive behaviour comes up and it's usually designed to get people to back off. So if people, and you'll find that people will say, We better not say anything because they get all defensive and act all hurt or whatever. But that's designed to get you to back off so we can't talk to you about it because you start crying straight away so everybody avoids the topic. Or it might be you get really angry and that is like, it's like a porcupine putting out its quills, basically. It's designed to get people to just back off, okay? So do we do that? All right, so use props as addiction, such as addictions or defensive behaviours to de-emphasise or drew attention away from your problems, or are you allowing the Holy Spirit in for far-reaching renovations? And then the last part, um, Kelly and Paul chose to renovate. The extensive work on their 100-year-old house allowed them to address some of its sloping floors and ceilings and provide a solution to their more pressing need for a family-friendly layout. And I took that as you, allow, as you apply the word into your life, it will do its work in you because it is truth and life. And He who promises is faithful. And this in turn is going to give you that family-friendly layout. It's going to improve all of your other significant relationships as well. All right, so um, I'm just going to end by saying that when pressure and storms come, please allow the Holy Spirit to expose your foundation. If pressure and storms dislodge your faith... And notice I didn't say if storms test your faith, because they will. But if you find that storms are dislodging your faith, if so- storms are sending you into doubt, anxiety, hopelessness, despair, then I'd suggest that you need to look at your foundation and what you're building. Allow God to take the building down if needs be and build, begin to build correctly by hearing and doing And that building by hearing and doing means correctly aligning your thoughts, your attitudes, and your behaviours with what His Word said these should be. Remember the knowledge of and application of the Word of God is your weapon and defence against deception, including self-deception. So check your foundation and continue to build on Jesus Christ as you hear and put His words into practice. And next week I'm going to look at more aspects of the Word. Now I'm just going to end by um, reading one of Derek Prince's quotes again, and then I'm gonna give you a question and challenge in closing. All right, here's the quote. Your attitude towards God's word is your attitude towards God himself. You do not love God more than you love his word. You do not obey God more than you obey his word. You do not honor God more than you honor his word. You do not have more room in your heart and love for God than you have for his word. Do you want to know how much God means to you? Just ask yourself, how much does God's word mean to me? The answer to the second question is the answer also to the first. God means as much to you as this word means to you. Just that much and no more. And in closing, I just want to leave you with this question to ask yourself, what place does the word of God have in my daily life?